0: Section 17 of Great Pirate Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Great Pirate Stories by Various, edited by Joseph Lewis French. Section 17, The Female Captive. The Female Captive, Lucretia Parker. The event which is here related is the capture, by the pirates, of the English sloop Eliza Ann, bound from St. John's to Antigua, and the massacre of the whole crew, ten in number, with the exception of one female passenger, whose life, by the interposition of divine providence, was miraculously preserved. The particulars are copied from a letter, written by the unfortunate Miss Parker, the female passenger above alluded to, to her brother in New York. St. John's, April 3, 1825. Dear Brother, you have undoubtedly heard of my adverse fortune, and the shocking incident that has attended me since I had the pleasure of seeing you in November last. Anticipating your impatience to be made acquainted with the more circumstantial detail of my extraordinary adventures, I shall not, on account of the interest which I know you must feel in my welfare, hesitate to oblige you. Yet, I must declare to you that it is that consideration alone that prompts me to do it, as even the recollection of the scenes which I have witnessed, you must be sensible, must ever be alluded to with pain, and that I cannot reflect on what I have endured and the scenes of horror that I have been witness to without the severest shock. I shall now, brother, proceed to furnish you with the details of my misfortunes, as they occurred, without exaggeration, and if it should be your wish to communicate them to the public, through the medium of a public's print, or in any other way, you are at liberty to do it, and I shall consider myself amply rewarded, if in a single instance it proves beneficial in removing a doubt in the minds of such who, although they dare not deny the existence of a supreme being, yet disbelieve he ever in any way revealed himself to his creatures. Let philosophy, as it is termed, smile with pity or contempt on no weakness or credulity, yet the superintendence of a particular providence, interfering by second causes, is so apparent to me, and was so conspicuously displayed in the course of my afflictions, that I shall not banish it from my mind from the beginning to the end of my narration. On the 28th of February I took passage on board the ship Eliza Ann, Captain Charles Smith, for Antigua, in compliance with the earnest request of my brother Thomas and family who had advised me that they had concluded to make that island the place of their permanent residence, having a few months previous purchased there a valuable plantation. We set sail with a favourable wind, and with every appearance of a short and pleasant voyage, and met with no incident to destroy or diminish those flattering prospects, until about noon of the fourteenth day from that of our departure, when a small schooner was discovered standing toward us, with her deck full of men, and as she approached us from her suspicious appearance there was not a doubt in the minds of any on board but that she was a pirate when within a few yards of us they gave a shout and our decks were instantly crowded with the motley crew of desperadoes armed with weapons of almost every description that can be mentioned and with which they commenced their barbarous work by unmercifully beating and maiming all on board except myself as a retreat was impossible, and finding myself surrounded by wretches whose yells, oaths, and imprecations made them more resemble demons than human beings, I fell on my knees, and from one who appeared to have the command, I begged for mercy and permission to retire to the cabin, that I might not be either the subject or a witness of the murderous scene that I had but little doubt was about to ensue. The privilege was not refused me. The monster in human shape, for such was then his appearance, conducted me by the hand himself to the companion-way and pointing to the cabin said to me descend and remain there and you will be perfectly safe for although pirates we are not barbarians to destroy the lives of innocent females saying this he closed the companion-doors and left me alone to reflect on my helpless and deplorable situation it is indeed impossible for me brother to paint to your imagination what were my feelings at this moment being the only female on board, my terror, it cannot be expected, was much less than that of the poor devoted mariners. I resigned my life to the being who had lent it, and did not fail to improve the opportunity, which I thought it not improbable might be my last, to call on him for that protection which my situation so much at this moment required, and never shall I be persuaded but that my prayers were heard. While I remained in this situation, by the sound of the clashing of swords, attended by shrieks and dismal groans, I could easily imagine what was going on on deck, and anticipated nothing better than the total destruction by the pirates of the lives of all on board. After I had remained about one hour and a half alone in the cabin, and all had become silent on deck, the cabin doors were suddenly thrown open, and eight or ten of the piratical crew entered, preceded by him whom I had suspected to be their leader and from whom I had received assurances that I should not be injured. By him I was again addressed, and requested to banish all fears of personal injury, that they sought only for the money which they suspected to be secreted somewhere on board the vessel, and which they were determined to have, although unable to extort a disclosure of the place, and of its concealment by threats and violence, from the crew. The pirates now commenced a thorough search throughout the cabin. The trunks and chests belonging to the captain and mate were broken open, and rifled of their most valuable contents. Nor did my baggage and stores meet any better fate. Indeed, this was a loss which at the moment caused me but little uneasiness. I felt that my life was too much in jeopardy to lament, in any degree, the loss of my worldly goods, surrounded as I was by a gang of the most ferocious-looking villains that my eyes ever before beheld, of different complexions, and each with a drawn weapon in his hand some of them fresh crimsoned with the blood, as I then supposed, of my murdered countrymen, and whose horrid imprecations and oaths were enough to appall the bravest heart. Their search for money proving unsuccessful, with the exception of a few dollars which they found in the captain's chest. They returned to the deck, and setting sail on the sloop, steered her for the place of their rendezvous, a small island or key, not far distant, I imagine, from the island of Cuba, where we arrived the day after our capture. The island was nearly barren, producing nothing but a few scattered mangroves and shrubs, interspersed with the miserable huts of those outlaws of civilization, among whom power formed the only law, and every species of iniquity was here carried to an extent of which no person who had not witnessed a similar degree of pollution could form the most distant idea. As soon as the sloop was brought to an anchor, the hatches were thrown off, and the unfortunate crew ordered on deck a command which to my surprise was instantly obeyed as i had harboured strong suspicions that they had all been murdered by the pirates the day previous the poor devoted victims although alive exhibited shocking proofs of the barbarity with which they had been treated by the unmerciful pirates their bodies exhibiting deep wounds and bruises too horrible for me to attempt to describe yet however great had been their sufferings their lives had been spared only to endure still greater torments Being strongly pinioned, they were forced into a small leaky boat, and rowed on shore, which we having reached, and a division of plunder having been made by the pirates, a scene of the most bloody and wanton barbarity ensued, the bare recollection of which still chills my blood. Having first divested them of every article of clothing but their shirts and trousers, with swords, knives, axes, etc., they fell on the unfortunate crew of the Eliza Ann, with the ferocity of cannibals. In vain did they beg for mercy and entreat of their murderers to spare their lives. In vain did poor Captain S. attempt to touch their feelings and move them to pity by representing to them the situation of his innocent family, that he had a wife and three small children at home, wholly dependent on him for support. But alas, the poor man entreated in vain. His appeal was to monsters, possessing hearts callous to feelings of humanity. Having received a heavy blow from one with an axe, he snapped the cords with which he was bound, and attempted to escape by flight, but was met by another of the ruffians, who plunged a knife or dirk into his heart. I stood near him at this moment, and was covered with his blood. On receiving the fatal wound, he gave a single groan and fell lifeless at my feet. Nor were the remainder of the crew more fortunate. The mate, while on his knees imploring mercy, and promising to accede to anything that the vile assassins should require of him, on condition of his life being spared, received a blow from a club which instantaneously put a period to his existence. Dear brother, need I attempt to paint to your imagination my feelings at this awful moment? Will it not suffice for me to say that I have described to you a scene of horror which I was compelled to witness? And with the expectation, too, of being the next victim selected by these ferocious monsters, whose thirst for blood appeared to be insatiable. There appeared now but one alternative left me, which was to offer up a prayer to heaven for the protection of that being who has power to stay the assassin's hand, and, quote, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think, end quote. Sincerely, in the language of scripture, I can say, quote, I found trouble and sorrow, then called upon the name of the Lord, end quote. I remained on my knees until the inhuman wretches had completed their murderous task. And left none but myself to lament the fate of those who, but twenty four hours before, were animated with the pleasing prospects of a quick voyage and a speedy return to the bosoms of their families. The wretch, by whom I had been thrice promised protection, and who seemed to reign chief among them, again approached me with hands crimsoned with the blood of my murdered countrymen, and, with a savage smile, once more repeated his assurances that, if I would but become reconciled to my situation, I had nothing to fear. There was indeed something truly terrific in the appearance of this man, or rather monster, as he ought to be termed. He was of a swarthy complexion. Nearly six feet in height, his eyes were large, black and penetrating. His expression was remarkable, and when silent his looks were sufficient to declare his meaning. He wore around his waist a leathern belt, to which was suspended a sword, a brace of pistols, and a dirk. He was, as I was afterward informed, the acknowledged chief among the pirates. All appeared to stand in awe of him, and no one dared to disobey his commands. Such, dear brother, was a character who had promised me protection if I would become reconciled to my situation, in other words, subservient to his will. But whatever might have been his intentions, although now in his power, without visible friend to protect me, yet such full reliance did I place in the supreme being who sees and knows all things, and who has promised his protection to the faithful in the hour of their tribulation, that I felt myself in a less degree of danger than you or any one would probably imagine. As the day drew near to a close, I was conducted to a small, temporary hut or cabin, where I was informed I might repose peaceably for the night, which I did without being disturbed by any one. This was another opportunity that I did not suffer to pass unimproved. To pour out my soul to that being who had already given me reasons to believe that he did not say to the house of Jacob, Seek you me in vain. Oh, that all sincere Christians would in every difficulty make him their refuge, he is a hopeful stay. Early in the morning ensuing, I was visited by the wretch alone whom I had viewed as chief of the murderous band. As he entered and cast his eyes upon me, his countenance relaxed from its usual ferocity to a feigned smile. Without speaking a word, he seated himself on a bench that the cabin contained, and drawing a table towards him, leaned upon it, resting his cheek upon his hand. His eyes for some moments were fixed in steadfast gaze on the ground, while his whole soul appeared to be devoured by the most diabolical thoughts. In a few moments he arose from his seat and hastily traversed the hut, apparently in extreme agitation, and not infrequently fixing his eyes steadfastly upon me. But that Providence, which while it protects the innocent, never suffers the wicked to go unpunished, interposed to save me and to deliver me from the hands of this remorseless villain, at the very instant when in all probability he intended to have destroyed my happiness forever. On a sudden, the pirate's bugle was sounded, which, as I was afterward informed, was the usual signal of a sail in sight. The ruffian monster thereupon, without uttering a word, left my apartment, and hastened, with all speed, to the place of their general rendezvous on such occasions. Flattered by the pleasing hope that Providence might be about to complete her work of mercy, and was conducting to the dreary island some friendly aid to rescue me from my perilous situation, I mustered courage to ascend to the roof of my hovel, to discover, if possible, the cause of the alarm, and what might be the issue. A short distance from the island, I espied a sail, which appeared to be lying to, and a few miles therefrom, to the windward, another which appeared to be bearing down under the press of sail for the former. In a moment, the whole gang of pirates, with the exception of four, were in their boats, and with their oars, etc., were making every possible exertion to reach the vessel nearest to their island. But by the time they had effected their object, the more distant vessel, which proved to be a British sloop of war, disguised, had approached them within fair gunshot, and probably knowing or suspecting their characters, opened their ports and commenced a destructive fire upon them. The pirates were now, as nearly as I could judge with the naked eye, thrown into great confusion. Every possible exertion appeared to have been made by them to reach the island, and escape from their pursuers. Some jumped from their boats and attempted to gain the shore by swimming, but those were shot in the water, and the remainder, who remained in their boats, were very soon after overtaken and captured by the two well-manned boats dispatched from the sloop of war for that purpose, and, soon I had the satisfaction— to see them all on board of the sloop and in the power of those from whom i was fully satisfied that they should meet with the punishment due to their crimes in describing the characters of this piratical band of robbers i have dear brother represented them as wretches of the most frightful and ferocious appearance bloodthirsty monsters who in acts of barbarity ought only to be ranked with cannibals who delight to feast on human flesh Rendered desperate by their crimes, and aware that they should find no mercy if so unfortunate as to fall into the hands of those to whom they show no mercy, to prevent a possibility of detection and the just execution of the laws, wantonly destroy the lives of every one, however innocent, who may be so unfortunate as to fall into their power. Such, indeed, brother, is the true character of the band of pirates, to the number of thirty or forty, by whom it was my misfortune to be captured. With the exception of a single one, who possessed a countenance less savage, and had the appearance of possessing a heart less callous to the feelings of humanity. Fortunately for me, as divine providence ordered, this person was one of the four who remained on the island, and on whom the command involved, after the unexpected disaster which had deprived them forever of so great a portion of their comrades. From this man, after the capture of the murderous tyrant, to whose commands he had been compelled to yield, I received the kindest treatment, and assurances that I should be restored to liberty and to my friends when an opportunity should present, or when it could be consistently done with the safety of their lives and liberty. This unhappy man, for such he declared himself to be, took an opportunity to indulge me with a partial relation of a few of the most extraordinary incidents of his life. He declared himself an Englishman by birth, but his real name and place of nativity was, he said, a secret he would never disclose. Although I must, said he, acknowledge myself by profession a pirate, yet I can boast of respectable parentage, and the time once was when I myself sustained an unimpeachable character. Loss of property, through the treachery of those whom I considered friends, and in whom I had placed implicit confidence, was what first led me to, and induced me, to prefer this mode of life to any of a less criminal nature but, although I voluntarily became the associate of a band of wretches, the most wicked and unprincipled perhaps on earth, yet I solemnly declare that I have not in any one instance personally deprived an innocent fellow-creature of life. It was an act of barbarity at which my heart ever recoiled, and against which I always protested. With the property I always insisted we ought to be satisfied. Without the destruction of the lives of such who were probably the fathers of families, and who had never offended us, but our gang was, as you may suppose, chiefly composed of and governed by men without principle, who appeared to delight in the shedding of blood, and whose only excuse has been that by acting with too much humanity in the sparing of life they might thereby be exposed and themselves arraigned to answer for their crimes at an earthly tribunal. "'You can have no conception, madam,' continued he of the immense property that has been piratically captured, and of the number of lives that have been destroyed by this gang alone, and all without the loss of a single one in our party until yesterday, when, by an unexpected circumstance, our number has been reduced, as you see, from thirty-five to four. This island has not been our constant abiding place, but the bodies of such as have suffered here have always been conveyed a considerable distance from the shore and thrown into the sea. Where they are probably devoured by sharks, as not a single one has ever been known afterward to drift on our shores. The property captured has not been long retained on this island, but shipped to a neighboring port, where we have an agent to dispose of it. Of the great number of vessels captured by us, continued he, you are the first and only female that has been so unfortunate as to fall into our hands, and from the moment that I first saw you in our power, well knowing the brutal disposition of him whom we acknowledged our chief, I trembled for your safety, and viewed you as one deprived, perhaps, of the protection of a husband or brother, to become the victim of an unpitying wretch, whose pretended regard for your sex, and his repeated promises of protection, were hypocritical, a mere mask to lull your fears until he could effect your ruin. His hellish designs, agreeable to his own declarations, would have been carried into effect the very morning that he last visited you, had not an all-wise providence interfered to save you. And so sensible I am to the unexpected circumstance of his capture, as well as that of the most of our gang, as desperate and unprincipled as himself, must have been an order of him from whose all-seeing eye no evil transaction can be hidden, that were I so disposed I should be deterred from doing you any injury through fear of meeting with a similar fate, nor do my three remaining companions differ with me in opinion, and we all now most solemnly pledge ourselves— "'that so long as you remain in our power "'you shall have nothing to complain of "'but the deprivation of society "'of whose company, no doubt, "'would be more agreeable to you, "'and as soon as it can be done "'consistently with our safety, "'you shall be conveyed to a place "'from which you may obtain a passage "'to your friends. "'We have now become too few in number "'to hazard a reputation of our piratical robberies, "'and not only this, "'but some of our captured companions "'to save their own lives "'may prove treacherous enough to betray us. We are therefore making preparation to leave this island for a place of more safety, when you, madam, shall be conveyed and set at liberty as I have promised you. Dear brother, if you before doubted, is not the declaration of this man, which I have recorded as correctly as my recollection will admit of, sufficient to satisfy you that I owe my life and safety to the interposition of a divine providence? Oh, yes, surely it is and I feel my insufficiency to thank and praise my heavenly protector as I ought, for his loving kindness in preserving me from the evil designs of wicked men, and for finally restoring me to liberty and to my friends. I cannot praise him as I would, but he is merciful and good. From this moment every preparation was made by the pirates to remove from the island. The small quantity of stores and goods which remained on hand, principally of the Eliza Ann's cargo, was either buried on the island or conveyed away in their boats in the night to some place unknown to me. The last thing done was to demolish their temporary dwellings, which was done so effectually as not to suffer a vestige of anything to remain that could have led to a discovery that the island had ever been inhabited by such a set of beings. Eleven days from that of the capture of the Eliza Ann, the pirates having previously put on board several bags of dollars, which, from the appearance of the former, I judged had been concealed in the earth, I was ordered to embark with them, but for what place I then knew not. About midnight I was landed on the rocky shores of an island, which they informed me was Cuba. They furnished me with a few hard biscuit and a bottle of water, and directed me to proceed early in the morning in a northeast direction, to a house about a mile distance, where, I was told, I would be well treated and furnished with a guide that would conduct me to Montansi's. With these directions they left me, and I never saw them more. At daybreak I set out in search of the house to which I had been directed by the pirates, and which I had the good fortune to reach in safety in about an hour and a half. It was a humble tenement thatched with canes, without any flooring on the ground, and was tenanted by a man and his wife only, from whom I met with a welcome reception. And by whom I was treated with much hospitality. Although Spaniards, the man could speak and understand enough English to converse with me, and to learn by what means I had been brought so unexpectedly alone and unprotected to his house. Though it was the same to which I had been directed by the pirates, yet he declared that so far from being in any way connected with them in their piratical robberies, or enjoying any portion of their ill gotten gain, no one could hold them in greater abhorrence. Whether he was sincere in these declarations or not, is well known to him who the lying tongue cannot deceive. But it is justice to them to say that both by the man and his wife I was treated with kindness, and it was with apparent emotions of pity that they listened to the tale of my sufferings. By their earnest request I remained with them until the morning ensuing, when I set out on foot to Montanzi, accompanied by the Spaniard, who had kindly offered to conduct me to that place. Which we reached about seven in the evening the same day. At Montansey's I found many Americans and Europeans, by whom I was kindly treated, and who proffered their services to restore me to my friends. But as there were no vessels bound direct from thence to Antigua or Saint John's, I was persuaded to take passage for Jamaica, where, it was the opinion of my friends, I might obtain a passage more speedily for one or the other place, and where I safely arrived after a pleasant voyage of four days. THE MOST REMARKABLE AND UNEXPECTED CIRCUMSTANCE OF MY EXTRAORDINARY ADVENTURES I HAVE YET, DEAR BROTHER, TO RELATE. SOON AFTER MY ARRIVAL AT JAMAICA, THE AUTHORITY, HAVING BEEN MADE ACQUAINTED WITH THE CIRCUMSTANCE OF MY RECENT CAPTURE BY THE PIRATES, AND THE EXTRAORDINARY CIRCUMSTANCES WHICH PRODUCED MY LIBERATION, REQUESTED THAT I MIGHT BE CONDUCTED TO THE PRISON, TO SEE IF I COULD, AMONG A NUMBER OF PIRATES RECENTLY COMMITTED, RECOGNIZE ANY OF THOSE BY WHOM I HAD BEEN CAPTURED. I was accordingly attended by two or three gentlemen and two young ladies, who had politely offered to accompany me, to the prison apartment, on entering which I not only instantly recognized among a number therein confined the identical savage monster of whom I had so much occasion to speak, the pirate's chief, but the most of those who had composed his gang, and who were captured with him. The sudden and unexpected introduction into their apartment of one whom they had probably in their minds numbered with the victims of their wanton barbarity, produced unquestionably on their minds not an inconsiderable degree of horror as well as surprise; and, considering their condemnation now certain, they had no doubt heaped curses upon their more fortunate companions for sparing the life and setting at liberty one whom an all wise providence had conducted to and placed in a situation to bear witness to their unprecedented barbarity government having through me obtained the necessary proof of the guilt of these merciless wretches after a fair and impartial trial they were all condemned to suffer the punishment due to their crimes and seven ordered for immediate execution one of whom was a barbarian their chief after the conviction and condemnation of this wretch in hopes of eluding the course of justice he made as i was informed An attempt on his own life, by inflicting upon himself deep wounds with a knife which he had concealed for that purpose, but in this he was disappointed, the wounds not proving so fatal as he probably anticipated. I never saw this hardened villain or any of his equally criminal companions after their condemnation, although strongly urged to witness their execution, and am therefore indebted to one who daily visited them for the information of their behavior from that period until that of their execution, which, as regarded the former, I was informed was extremely impenitent, while that proceeding to the place of ignominy and death, he talked with shocking unconcern, hinting that by being instrumental in the destruction of so many lives, he had become too hardened and familiar with death to feel much intimidated at its approach. He was attended to the place of execution by a Roman Catholic priest, who, it was said, labored to convince him of the atrociousness of his crimes but he seemed deaf to all admonition and exhortation, and appeared insensible to the hope of happiness or fear of torment in a future state, and, so far from exhibiting a single symptom of penitence, declared that he knew of but one thing for which he had cause to reproach himself, which was in the sparing of my life and not ordering me to be butchered as the others had been. How awful was the end of the life of this miserable criminal! He looked not with harmony, regard, or a single penitent feeling toward one human being in the last agonies of an ignominious death. After remaining nine days at Jamaica, I was so fortunate as to obtain a passage with Captain Elsmore direct for St. John's. The thoughts of once more returning home, and of so soon joining my anxious friends, when I could have an opportunity to communicate to my aged parents, to a beloved sister, and a large circle of acquaintances the sad tale of misfortunes which had attended me since i bid them adieu would have been productive of the most pleasing sensations had they not been interrupted by the melancholy reflection that i was a bearer of tidings of the most heartrending nature to the bereaved families of those unfortunate husbands and parents who had in my presence fallen victim to piratical barbarity thankful should i have been had the distressing duty fell to the lot of some one with less sensibility but unerring providence had ordered otherwise. We arrived safe at our port of destination, after a somewhat boisterous passage of eighteen days. I found my friends all well, but the effects produced on their minds by the relation of the distressing incidents and adverse fortune that had attended me since my departure, I shall not attempt to describe, and much less can you expect, brother, that I should attempt a description of the feelings of the afflicted widow and fatherless child, who first received from me the melancholy tidings that they were so thus brother i have furnished you with as minute a detail of the sad misfortunes that have attended me in my intended passage to antigua in february and march last as the circumstances will admit of and here permit me once more to repeat my inquiry is it not sufficient to satisfy you and every reasonable person that i owe my life and liberty to the interposition of a divine providence so fully am I persuaded of this, dear brother, and of my great obligations to that supreme being, who turned not away from my prayer, nor his mercy from me, that I am determined to engage with my whole heart to serve him the residue of my days on earth, by the aid of his heavenly grace, and invite all who profess to fear him, should a single doubt remain on their minds, to come and hear what he hath done for me. I am, dear brother, affectionately yours, Lucretia Parker. Footnotes, 26, from an old pamphlet, published in 1825. End of Section 17